Welcome to the Keeping Kids Safe podcast. My name is Karen Cohn. I am the co-founder of the Zach Foundation for Children's Safety. This is your number one resource for all things related to your child's emotional, physical, and social well-being. Now I'd like to introduce my co-host and my friend, the executive director of the Zach Foundation for Children's Safety, Megan Ferraro. Hi, Megan. Hi, Karen. Good morning. Hi. Good morning, Megan. How are you today? I'm great. So happy to be here today and so excited for today's episode. Me too. Well, um, we want to introduce all of you to Dr. Dvorsky, who is the Assistant Professor of Pediatrics, Psychiatry, and Behavioral Sciences, and Director of the ADHD and Learning Differences Program at Children's National and the George Washington University School of Medicine and Health Sciences. Welcome, Dr. Dvorsky. Hi, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for joining us. We are so excited to be talking about this topic because it's so important for many of our children who are um, who are affected by ADHD and how, as families, we can best support them. And so we know that you have done such in-depth work on this and just would love to, I guess, ask you first to give us um, an overview of it and how parents can identify uh, what some of the symptoms may be that their child may be um, experiencing. Yeah, let me just start by saying, you know, in my work, I often say, you know, one child with ADHD and you know, one child with ADHD, because there's so much variability and heterogeneity and how they present and what symptom kind of clusters they present with and how that impacts how those symptoms impact their life. They might struggle in school. Um, they might not struggle in school, but they really struggle with peers or, or you know, building quality friendships or social skills, or they, they might have more conflict with their parents at home. How that ADHD impacts their life can be different um, for different children, but generally what kind of characterizes ADHD is um, sort of two different or three different areas of symptoms. There's inattention, hyperactivity, and impulsivity. And attention kind of looks like difficulties um, staying on task, um, perhaps like procrastinating or having a hard time getting started on things that you think are going to require a lot of mental effort for you. For some kids, that might be reading. For others, reading might be a breeze and they love reading, but they hate math problems when they see 100 of them on the page. So that, again, whatever that is can be different. Um, but having a hard time getting started on the things you anticipate being harder. Um, you know, being easily distracted by other things going on around you. Um, those are, that's sort of how inattention can look. It can also look like disorganization and forgetfulness and kind of being, you know, scattered for lack of a better word. Hyperactivity, on the other hand, is sort of the overactive behaviors like fidgeting, having a hard time staying in your seat, um, or kind of running around more than what's age appropriate, climbing on furniture. Um, when you're a young child, some of those behaviors are typical, um, as you get older, some of those symptoms might present as just feeling restless or feeling like I need to be get up, but I can sit through this class period. So, um, they kind of evolve in how they look depending on your age. And then impulsivity can look like 
um, you have difficulties interrupting someone or waiting your turn or sort of the putting your foot in your mouth, acting without thinking um, in a variety of different ways. That is so interesting. And I have four young children and I'm thinking, ticking through each of them, thinking about how some of these symptoms apply to them and others don't. It's so interesting with each child. Like you said, I have four children. Each of them are so very different. So I can only imagine how challenging it could be to diagnose or to figure out what child may be struggling with which issue. Yeah. In my research, I, I think of it as an opportunity to learn because there's also it's, it's sort of a beautiful thing that just having ADHD doesn't necessarily mean like you won't go to college or you won't do, um, you won't have a successful job later, or you, you won't get A's and B's. Those things can happen. And there's such wide, you know, range of outcomes that we see in ADHD. So I think we have so much we can learn from those who adapt and do fine, despite having this, um, this risk of having ADHD, there's certain supports either at home or things going on for them at school or maybe in extracurriculars that they do that help support them through those tough, difficult times. And I think we could learn a lot from those that are doing okay with their ADHD too. Absolutely. And one of the other things that I um, was thinking about was executive function and time management. I have a middle school son and it's always something I'm trying to impress upon him. And so I would love to learn more from you about that and how you, what types of supports you might recommend or how you might encourage parents to provide tools for their kids. Yeah. Middle school is such an important place to really try to support organization, time management skills. They, um, they aren't things that are typically taught in most schools. It's sort of assumed that by the time you get to high school, you just have good habits and you can do those things independently, but who teaches them, where do they come from and how, how do you develop them? And so a lot of times it does fall on the parent to help support those, those healthy habits of time management and organization skills. Um, you know, sometimes that's taught by modeling that yourself as a parent, um, sometimes these are more um, subtle things that can be helpful to kind of break down. I like to talk about with families that I work with is define what that means to be organized, define what it means to manage your time, and then set goals around those definitions that you and your child agree to. So if time management means you map out in the evening what you're going to do at four o'clock or at seven o'clock, when, you, when um, are you going to fit in homework time around dance class or around watching TV or, or taking a shower and going to bed. Time management could look like that or time management could be, okay, you have a test in three weeks, putting that in a calendar and then writing at least twice when you're going to prepare and what you're going to do and kind of preparing in advance for things. It's such a broad concept, but there are a lot of different ways. So I like to focus on define what it is that they need, how do they need to be managing their time differently, and then support them in setting goals around that. That's so interesting. I have one child that's really good at that. Um, and that same child struggles when she sees those 100 math questions on a page. So it's, it is so child dependent, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I think, um, sometimes when things seem so hard, it's hard to get started on. And I like to, I mean, maybe we just need to like break it down into another step, either just like cover up half the page or, um, just focus on what I'm going to do for the next five minutes. And that usually once we're rolling in something, we can keep moving, but that's hard to get started sometimes. It can be. 
And what is a daily report card system? Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, daily report card system is a great intervention. It's research-based. Um, it's designed for more the elementary, sometimes in middle schools, but primarily in those um, starting in you know kindergarten and up. It defines, and I'm talking about, you know, defining behavior and then monitoring those goals. It sort of sets a, um, a personalized goal around whatever behaviors your child is struggling with in the classroom setting. So it's, it's meant to be used at school, something the teacher checks at periods throughout the day, and then it can come home and be tied to home rewards, but should be tied to immediate rewards um, at school too. And it's really helpful for students that struggle with ADHD because what it does is, you know, some classrooms have like a red light, green light, yellow light sort of system and your, your name moves across that. And once you're in yellow, you can't go back to green. Um, and if you move to red in the, at nine o'clock in the morning, um, why would you bother um, having a good day the rest of the day? If you know, you're not going to get a green day now and your day's shot. Um, but this kind of, if your day is broken up into kind of either by activity or by every two hours, each chunk of time then is a new opportunity to kind of start fresh. And here's where we're going to look. Here's the things you're going to focus on. You did really well with raising your hand before speaking during reading time and you stayed in your circle, um, but you didn't stay on task to finish your worksheet. So now when we move to math, math time, I want to make sure you really focus on that. And it, it takes two seconds for the teacher to give that feedback when they move transition between activities, but it's so impactful because people and children with ADHD need that in the moment um, sort of behavior support. It doesn't help an hour later or two hours later or the next day to talk about what did you do and why you need that feedback in the moment to really help shape and change those behaviors because it's just not sticking um, for someone with, with attention difficulties. Now, is that something a parent can go to a teacher directly with that plan or do schools oftentimes implement them? Um, both ways. It can happen. It can happen either way. Sometimes I've seen it be built into an IEP or a 504 plan that the school has suggested it. Um, oftentimes the parent does need to take it to the school and suggest it. It should be something done really collaboratively with the teacher because the behaviors they display at home might not be the exact same behaviors that happen, you know, at school versus home. Um, so deciding on what those behaviors are um, and that should go on that daily report card should be done collaboratively. It's something you can get your teacher to do without a 504 IEP in place to, and, um, pardon me, I mean, an individualized education plan um, or 504 plan is for accommodations, which you can get either of those things for, for ADHD, but you don't need those in place in order to do something like a daily report card. Simply asking your teacher and supporting um, them and getting it set up um, could make that happen too. So I have high school age children now um, and college age. And, but I feel like over the years, there has been so much more awareness and so much more evolving um, responses um, in the classroom to children um, and students as, um, you know, as they are either diagnosed officially or are experiencing some of those symptoms. Um, are you finding that? 
Yeah, kind of in a mixed way. There's been a big push in recent years to really um, stop the self-contained classroom where sometimes students with more severe symptoms of, of any mental health um, you know, disorder were, were pulled out and spent a lot of their school day in um, classrooms just designated for just that. And now most school districts have moved to more of an inclusion model where um, those students are main in mainstream general education classrooms with their peers. Um, and what I'm not seeing or what I think is really hard in our nation right now is how are we supporting our teachers and managing those behaviors when they do come up now that they are um, supported in the classroom. We know the outcomes are better for students with learning differences, ADHD and, and even autism and other and other concerns if they are in the general education classrooms with their peers, that they perform better um, academically, socially, emotionally. But um, how are we supporting our teachers to feel well-equipped, to feel effective in their teaching and managing um, those behaviors in the classroom too? And I don't know that we do a good job at that currently. Um, and I think that leads to some teacher burnout. And I think it also might lead to some ineffective, you know, for example, something that happens with ADHD a lot is interpreting what's an impulsive or inattentive behavior as willful oppositional behavior and then giving them a behavioral referral to the principal's office or something else when it was um, something that could have been managed in a different way, but now is interpreted as a behavior problem. And I think that's, that's a risky area to, to be in. Absolutely. And I know that you have created an app for this as well for um, the for children that may have ADHD. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, and this app is really, we, we designed it thinking about children with attention, regulation difficulties and organizational challenges in mind, but it's something that I think could be helpful for for all um, adolescents or teenagers. It's it's meant to kind of um, support in the moment uh, organization time management skills. A lot of in middle school and high school, they have online platforms now that are assigning all their work. And sometimes it even populates it into a calendar format for them. And unfortunately, one of the sort of side effects of that is, is that children aren't learning to write down or manage their own tasks. They just kind of look at the calendar, whatever the teacher put on there, that homework that they need to do, they do. Um, they don't do anything else outside of that, or they don't practice or remember what they need to do because someone else kind of planned it out for them. Um, so this is a strategy to write, to really try to incentivize and use gamification tools um, to motivate a child to want to practice things that look, it looks like a, you know, Google calendar, but they get coins um, when they add things into it. And when they check off their organization checklist, um, so it helps to motivate these behaviors that we we know um, we could talk with them about once a week in a therapy session or a school counselor could could meet with a student to address. Um, but if we don't um, really tar target those things in the moment, um, it's going to be hard to change them. And so technology, although it can be a blessing and a curse sometimes, it is something that is in classrooms a lot. Um, and so if we can, if it's going to be there anyways, and if we can use it in ways that we as humans and adults can't support our students that, that struggle with attention, organization difficulties, for example, when they're home before the caregiver gets home, but they need to be doing homework during that time, um, or in, during study hall, when there's really no one monitoring them, how to, how to use technology in a way that helps support 
the behaviors that they want to be doing, but they just have a hard time either getting started or staying on task with. And what is the name of the app? Yeah, it's called the Atom Program. So you can learn more about it at um, theatomprogram.com. And um, right now we're not um, taking, you know, um, individuals to, to try out the app on their own. So we're, we're testing it as part of an NIMH funded research trial. So it's something that um, for folks to use it, currently you have to be at schools where we, we're in and around DC area. Um, However, we, we're hoping that eventually we will um, be able to uh, share it with, with others so it can be more widely used. Um, another app that I've, um, that I've helped uh, work with is uh, called the Clarify app, and it similarly helps with time management, organization, um, and staying on task. And it's, um, I can put the link to it in the, in the chat, but it's something that is available right now. Families are looking for, looking for a solution, right? today. Um, yeah. Okay, cool. It's interesting that you um, mentioned that a lot of the schools are using programs where the calendars are um, populated automatically, and that happens at my children's high school. And so we as a family like to use um, a calendar. And so oftentimes we hope to be teaching our children by us um, having family invitations um, to events and sort of getting them used to using a calendar. Yeah, that's great. That's really great. It's It helps to have that social support. I think when other people are doing it, it motivates continuous use of it too, versus sometimes um, when, at the beginning of the year, you can get started on something, doing something a certain way. And then after a few weeks into the quarter, it just sort of stops doing it. And so if you've got other people in the family, we're all doing it. Um, it helps to maintain it too. It's so yeah, important. absolutely. Yeah. That's a great idea. I'm just looking at this clarify, um, website right now. Um, and I also wondered, could you spell the Adam project? Yeah, it's A T O M. It stands for advanced tools for organization management. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. Well, we'll look forward to um, the the day that it's released to the general public. <laughs> It'll be yeah. a great tool for us. Yeah, we're very, um, very excited about it. What are, you know, one of the other things that I wonder about, I have kids ranging in age from two to 12. So I wonder what is the age range during which most children are diagnosed with ADHD or a similar um, disorder? Yeah, yeah. Um... You know, I think with COVID, it's been hard to say because um, that's sort of just thrown this other interesting wrench in it. But pre-COVID and whatever stage we're in now in the world, it seems that it's often early elementary school, like um, first through third grade. Um, that being said, it really just depends. You know, a lot of times it's when they're in a structured classroom setting for the first time. Um, teachers can really start to pick up on certain behaviors. And I will say teachers are, if you think about it, they're experts at whatever grade they teach, right? Because they've seen hundreds, if not thousands of children just in that age group year after year. And so they can be helpful in indicating whether something um, needs support or, or is, um, you know, is, is not going as well. But 
Um, sometimes if your child is really bright, for example, or just really socially motivated, they really want to do well, there might be other things that kind of help hold them in place temporarily until they get to a certain point where no, that skill set or those assets that they bring as an individual, whether it just be, um, yeah, their, their sheer cognitive abilities that they got genetically, or whether it was their drive or motivation or social support. Sometimes there's a, there's a point where those things, um, the workload kind of catches up to them. And oftentimes that can be middle school. Um, sometimes it might not be until um, high school um, where that really starts to show up. And it's now there's these longer term assignments that I can't keep up with, or it really requires me to be organized. Um, now that my parents stopped doing these things for me, I really need, it's starting to come through that I need support in these areas. So it can vary. It depends depends on the individual. And if, if, if a parent is concerned that their child may have um, a disorder, where, where do they go? Where do they start for help? Yeah, you could start with your pediatrician is a great place to, to start. Um, you could also, and I would simultaneously talk to the school. Um, I mentioned, you know, teachers being experts of observing the behavior, but you should talk um, with them even outside of the, the maybe the regularly scheduled te parent teacher conference. Um, but if you've been observing a pattern of behavior at home, you know, reach out and see what's happening at, at school um, and whether those things are consistent. Um, a pediatrician can also help in connecting you to other mental health supports. Um, when it comes to ADHD, a great online resource for finding providers is CHAD. It's C-H-A-D-D. -D. Um, and it stands for children and adults with ADHD. And it has a provider sort of uh, search tool. So you can look for um, ADHD providers in your area, which I think is great for just sort of raising awareness around other um, mental health supports for, for ADHD. Um, so I think the but starting with your your pediatrician and teacher is probably the most common taking off this place. Right. And then once you have that diagnosis, how can parents and families be supportive? Yeah. Um it kind of depends on on what your your child needs. Um once you have that diagnosis, one one thing is if the if the child is struggling in school, you can take that diagnostic report um, to the school and request um, that they evaluate the fit for, um, you know, specialized services, which would be an individualized education plan or a 504 plan. That would help to get um, put in place kind of the specific interventions like a daily report card or other accommodations like getting um, to take tests at a quiet classroom setting where you're not as distracted or, or other kind of accommodations like that. Um, and that sort of just federally mandates that those things happen in that systematic way year to year. So you don't have to rely on just a nice teacher one year doing it for, you know, out of the goodness of their heart, but it, it makes sure that those things stay in place. Um, it's also, you know, depending on your child's age, some of these things that we're talking about, organization, homework management, time management, I would say it's not very typical. And Karen, you can you can tell me based on your your teenagers that they're probably not going to want to sit down and talk with you about how they do those things, you know, every day in an open way. A lot of times it leads to some conflict between parent and just having someone else, a third party person, talk about those things or support those skills, even if their parent gets the exact same advice. It just 
falls on, on deaf ears um, when it comes from mom or dad. So there are, you know, this is something that a school counselor at school could help with, or um, sometimes there is sort of a, someone that serves in like an executive functioning coach role um, that can support those things or, or finding a, a mental health provider that, um, that specializes in ADHD can certainly help support the organization and time management skills. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, it really makes the expression true. Like it does take a village because you're right. Your teenage children do not want to hear it from you. And it, we always tell our kids um, that they need to find other, not that they need to find them, but they, it's helpful to have other adults to talk with because oftentimes you're right. You can say the same exact thing, but they don't want to hear it from you. <laughs> yeah. And that's okay. That's fine. As long as they're hearing it from someone else. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes those other adults can come from really good quality friendships where their, their caregivers are there to provide those teachable moments for them. And it just sounds so much better, or it could be coaches. It could be, you know, a scout leader. It could be, um, an art teacher. It could be anyone. Um, absolutely. So I also think it's important, not just for kids with attention difficulties, but for all kids to find the things that they're just inherently passionate about or good at, or just that make them feel good. So that way they can have those wins in their day. And especially if you struggle in school or you're, you're constantly at a battle with your parents um, over your chores or over schoolwork, have something else in your life that, um, that you can really be successful at to really balance out um how you evaluate yourself. Cause when everything, when you're the smaller our worlds are, if we only think about our job or our work or only think about school, then when something doesn't go well in that one thing, it really, it has this huge impact on feels like, you know, or something with our friend group. It just, if that's the only friend group we have is with those four people at school, it, you know, it's, it makes that harder when, when hard things inevitably happen. But if it's, oh, I have those friend schools, but I also have these extracurricular friends, or I have my neighborhood friends, or having kind of other um, multifaceted things and ways that their children spend your time, but not too much. We also sometimes overdo it, I think, with overscheduling our kids into every extracurricular that we possibly can. But I think helping some exploration there is good. I know that's such good advice to also have different friend groups for your children. I think that uh, has helped my ch children definitely over the years, having different camp friends and also like you're saying, extracurricular friends, which yeah. is really helpful. And just, you know, supporting, you know, support, supporting teaching children to learn at uh, about those things that make them happy. Exactly. Yeah. Because I think when you when you struggle inherently, you struggle with attention or maintaining your focus. You're 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 constantly, um, some not maybe not constantly, but you're often falling short of your goals. You're falling short of your goals, the things that you want to do or achieve at, or what you know you're capable of, and that's really frustrating. And it starts to impact your self concept over time. So to really sort of promote. Um, adjustment or resilience in, in these difficult um, areas, it's important to have a balanced um, opportunities, I guess. That's great advice. I um, know with my kids, it's that 
I was saying to my husband last night, one of them is a really great student and the other is a really great athlete. And each of them want to be really good at what the other is, is really good at. And so I was saying to him, we've got to really just be mindful of how we praise each child for what's really important in life, right? Which is, you know, being a good person, a good sibling, a thoughtful human. And it's interesting, these kind of pivotal moments in your parenting journey where you're realizing that you've got to be sure that you're, you know, highlighting and focusing on what, what the end goal is, right? Yeah. Yeah. One thing I, I say with families that I work with um, often is, is, instead of just praise, think about descriptive praise, describe the things that you want to see continue or the things that you want them to, to kind of take on and, and um, hold later in life. And so if that's um, being a supportive brother or helping me to un- unload the dishwasher because I was really tired or using praise, not just to say good job or um, thank, you know, thank you, but really describe the things that you, that you like about it and focus on effort over outcome we know that's important too you know so that way it's not just did you win at the game or did you get the a but praise the time that you saw them put into practicing or into studying or um that effort because that's how you build motivation over time that's that makes me feel good because when i went over the report card i said i'm so proud of you not for the grade but for how hard you work to get to where you are and it's just reminding yourself of of those like little milestones along the way that are important to focus on in the right way. Um, so, you know, you've shared so much with us. There's so many more questions that I have for you and I'm sure Karen does as well. So maybe we'll be lucky enough to have you come back and and deep dive into some of these other topic areas. Is there anything that we haven't asked you about that you might like to share? No, I'm I'm happy to. You mentioned some of our our resources and the, the website we have, we have like infographic and video resources linked there too. So if families do want to learn more about supporting organization, time management, um, or just, you know, different behaviors in children with attention difficulties, you can learn more that way. And yeah, happy to, happy to talk again in the future and really ha- had fun talking with you both today. Yes, thank you. And for our listeners who are wondering where you can learn more, you can visit melissadvorsky.com. We'll have the website in the episode description and in the show notes. And just thank you uh, for sharing all of this important information with us and for educating all of our listeners as well. And thank you for the work that you do. It's really important to support uh, the children that are affected by ADHD and just you know, teaching ourselves and families about how to work with them to support them best. It's really important. Yeah. Thank you both for giving me the opportunity to to really share this information and to get it out to more, more families to help more of those who hopefully need it. Thank you. And for those of you who are listening, if you would please share this episode with your family and friends and um, rate and review our podcast, we would really appreciate it. Have a great day. Thank you.